Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to episode 85 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Today, my guest is Ido Leffler. You can find him on Twitter at I-D-O-L-E-F-F-L-E-R. He is one of the co-founders of Yes to Carrots, among other things. I'll talk about more. I'll talk about him a little more in a moment. If you're new to the show, thanks for being here. Do subscribe. You can subscribe on iTunes or on the podcast app of your choice. I prefer Pocket Casts, which is great for Android and iOS, but I'm also on SoundCloud. Jump on the mailing list at oshiginsberg.com. If you want to write to me, just reply to the mail out. I write back to pretty much everybody. Uh, You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I started putting out some cat posters this week. Um, I hope you like them, but I thought, you know, I've got a lot of really inspirational stuff that people say on this show. Why don't I make them into a cat poster and and put them out there and, and see what happens? So let me know if you like the cat posters. I went and saw Mad Max this week, uh, which was wonderful, if not only because of the fact that I got to go with a mate, Quentin Kennehan. You've heard him on this show. He is an alum of this show. Uh, he's a great human being, and he's a part of this film. He and I, if you've listened to that episode, spoke when he was making that movie down in Sydney, and it was wonderful to go to the premiere with him. Uh, it was just bloody amazing. Uh, go and see Mad Max this week. Just do it. It is the most visually assaulting, suspenseful, passionate film that I've ever seen. Without a doubt, if I was an action movie director, I'd probably give up right about now. Um, the first Fast and the Furious, the first five minutes, like if you got all the Fast and Furious films and put them together, might make the first five minutes. Might. Uh, I'm going to go see it again on Tuesday night with some mates in 3D in IMAX because I just have to. Um, George Miller's 70 years old, and this truly is a masterpiece. It is an absolute masterpiece. One of my favorite tweets about the film was, I, I can't pick my favorite female character from 
Mad Max Fury Road because there are just too damn many. It uh, passes the Bechdel test about 10 times within the first act. It's amazing. Go check it out. I had a pretty good week. I hope your week was okay. Are you okay? Are you doing all right? Uh, thank you very much to everybody that wrote messages in regarding the Michelle Laurie podcast, the Nitty Gritty Committee. Nitty Gritty Committee. Check it out if you haven't heard it already. It was really nice to get so much feedback from that. Thank you very, very much. Um, I had a bit of a tough week this week. I got triggered a few times this week, and I'm just kind of coming to grips with the fact that I'm never really going to be out of the woods, certainly when there's triggers around, that those triggers are always going to be there. I'm always going to have those reactions to them, but I'm getting better and better at managing them, rationalizing my way out of the peaks. But it's still work, man. It's still work, but it beats the alternative, that's for sure. It certainly beats the alternative. So anyway, I just wanted to let you know that, that that's going on. My guest today, though, is an incredible human being, Ido Leffler. You can find him on social media at I-D-O-L-E-F-L-E-R, Ido Leffler. He is uh, the founder and chief carrot lover of Yes to Carrots, one of the biggest beauty brands in the world. He's the co-founder of Yubi, which is a one-for-one stationery company. He's the co-founder of Cheeky, which is a paper plastic tableware company that helps donate a meal to someone in need for every product you buy. He's the author, co-author of a book called Get Big Fast, Do More Good. He's involved in so much more, 20 companies or more. But what do they all have in common? They all have a give back at the same time as being financially successful. The give is built into the business model. And I am really grateful to call Edo a mate. Uh, he's inspiration. He's the kind of man that makes you feel that the sun is coming out just for you when he's talking to you. He is... He's an amazing guy. He's also a, a, a true product of the Australian immigrant story. He came here from Israel when his, he was a kid. His young family came there. As he talks about in the show, his family built everything from nothing, lost it all, then built everything again. And in his words, a hundred times over. Ido now lives in San Francisco with his wonderful, wonderful wife and their three incredible daughters. He and I spoke at UB's office, which is in Manhattan Beach, just south of LAX, a couple of miles down from uh, Venice, where I live. He is the busiest man in the world, all right? 20 companies he's involved with. But when we chat, you'll hear it at the very start of the interview. He gives his phone to his assistant, puts it out of the room so he could focus his full attention on me. And that was pretty wonderful. We talk in this show about saying yes a lot. You may need to listen to the show twice because if there's something that you hear in there, or resonate with, or perhaps would be benefit of someone that you care about, just do me the kindness and, and tell them about it. Because there's a lot in this show, in this conversation with one of the, I always like to talk to people who are mega successful and just ask them how they, you know, how, how they managed to do it, how they managed to keep doing it. And his thing is just working hard and saying yes. And you listen in his voice, you listen to what he says, and he's a living embodiment of what he speaks. So I'm thrilled to bring you this, this wonderful hour with truly one of the greatest entrepreneurs of our time um, in Manhattan Beach on a, I think it was a Wednesday afternoon with the wonderful Edo Leffler. Right, let me turn all these things off. Yeah. Should let me give this to someone. You're taking your phone out of the room? Yeah. I love you. That's such a good play. I don't I don't leave voicemails anymore. 
I stopped leaving voicemails completely. I stopped checking them. No, I don't check voicemails. Unless I see, I can see who, like if it's just a random. Yeah, I don't I'll know. Yeah. This enormous amounts of technology has gone into creating this thing and I just don't use it. I don't even, um, well, my thing is like I do digital Sabbaths now. So Digital Sabbaths. So fr- Saturday from f- dinner, Saturday, Friday night till dinner, after dinner, Saturday, no email. I'll answer my phone and if it's a friend texting me, but no email, no nothing that's related to anything that's going to distract me from being present with family and friends and how is so, that working out? Amazing. Yeah. It's, a, it's a game changer. It How- started, it came to me, I, I started to think about it a long time ago because a friend of mine gave me a uh, sort of, we sitting down on the beach in Byron and he's actually someone who, who became more of a religious Jew and, and, and was saying me about the whole notion of the, the Sabbath being a gift. And that you need to treat it as a gift and, and this whole notion that if I could give you 24 hours of no interruption to just enjoy the moment, would you take that gift? And I said, of course I would. And so it, I, was, I remember I was sitting in, my, in Zoe's swimming class and I looked down, she got in the pool and I looked back up and her class was over and I'd spent the entire class on a Saturday checking my email. I went, how many of these days do I have with her? Like it's, 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 when you factor it in, it's not many, like a few hundred days of Saturdays and when, well, she's living with us. That's not a lot. So anyway, that's my thing. That's, that's brave. I don't know many people that could do that. It's, it's, I don't know if it's brave. I think it's just taking, if somebody wants to find you, they would find you. Yeah. Somebody, everybody that needs me on an emergency basis has my cell phone number. Or know someone that does. Fair enough. So, well, it's, it's look, it's great to be here, man. I know you're like the busiest man on the planet right uh, now. <laughs> my pleasure. You only have like 17 companies running. <laughs> How you feeling? Like, you know what? Life is great. I don't think, I, I don't think I've ever been happier with with just in general. I, you know, wonderful life, family, kids, the whole deal, and and the notion of being um busy excites me like as in i'm 37 now that the, the idea of i don't want to do this forever i don't want to work at this pace forever but now when i when you know i i've kind of figured out a very good way to almost tetris my life so every day there's there's issues some of which are one block issues some of which are four block issues and I like working at that pace of solving an issue or finding an opportunity and, and, and making it work. And especially when you can combine that with, with doing good at the same time, like the, coming into like where we're sitting now into UB and knowing that, you know, walking in, I see that sign every time we walk in and, and that sign says, you know, to date we've given 14,700 gift packs away, which has affected the lives of, I think it's just over 300, close to 400,000 kids. And we've been doing it like, that's an awesome way to walk into work every day. Uh, so so the, the underlining thing is happy. I, I think uh, it, the, next, um, the next two to three years is, is I think the, the time for us to really embrace all of what we've built in the past and just 
own that happiness. It's fun. We're in the uh, UB office in El Segundo, California, which is next to LAX. And uh, between us and the beautiful Pacific Ocean, there is a humongous industrial power plant, uh, <laughs> which they built right on the water for some reason. Oh, God knows why. It's, 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 I ride my bicycle past it every day and uh, we're all around. There's airplane hangars and all kinds of things. But this office is, is very colorful, man, it, this office. You walk in and you feel like, you know, when we first walked into this building and it was a blank canvas, the idea was, you know, I love the fact that you know, I, I live in San Francisco, so for me, I commute down here to LA and the fact that I'm eight minutes away and I come from, you know, the terminal and I walk in here and it's like a candy store. It's fun. It, it, it's, you know, we work, the, the team and the, the people around here are a group of people that we create colorful things that make people happy. And if you can... And the, so the environment here, it's a little oasis, um, you know, eight minutes from LAX and eight minutes from the surf. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a one-for-one uh, school supplies company. Correct. Yeah. So for every item you buy, UB provides another item. We actually call it one for you, one for me, which is how kids play in the, in the playground. And, the, um, and UB effectively was an answer after... Or, or solving a problem that I saw after walking down the aisle of a local store with my kids and nothing in that aisle of school supplies or stationery excited them. You know, it wasn't um, like when we were growing up, I remember going down that aisle and it was like a treasure trove. I loved that aisle and my kids ignored it. The smell it. of the fresh paper, the mechanical pencils. The, oh God, you know. you know. right here. <laughs> wow. I, 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 I honestly remember that feeling when, when, when we got the mechanical pencils or the cool pencil case or, you know, at the time, the liquid paper, all that kind of stuff. And the, that, what, what, that innovation almost seemed to have ended somewhere around the time that we were growing up in the 80s. And so we wanted to create something that was fun and exciting, but also something that actually meant you know, something to us and, and, and that we could show our kids that, you know, that every action that they took by, by, work, by buying one of these with us, they would actually be making a positive impact to somebody else. And, you know, I had the, uh, you know, an experience where I went with um, one of our, the, the, actually our, our, the guy that runs now our giving program, Justin, down the road, and we went to a school literally a mile from here. And... That school, if I had blindfolded you and took you on a, on a plane for eight hours and took your blindfold off, you would have thought we were somewhere like in Haiti. And it, it's literally a school that looks like a, a, a penitentiary or it, it's horrible. Yet the kids in that school are incredible and want to have the same opportunities and the same supplies and the same, you know, uh, chances in life that, that anyone has. So it was about how do we level the playing field? And, and supplies is one of those key things, especially for the younger kids, that they feel that it's almost like a security blanket for them, that they know that they can learn, they can express themselves. They don't have to, you know, we've met kids who have worried about using their pens or pencils because it, they'll run out. <laughs> Imagine being in that world. It's kind of hard for, as someone who grew up in Australia in the first the state school system and then the private school system, it's kind of hard to 
bring to mind what public schools in the US can be like. You have this idea that it's such a wealthy country and therefore the education is just super, super top-notch. But what you're describing doesn't sound like that at all. So you, it's very much, a, you know, a question of one postcode has incredible schools and one postcode doesn't. And it could be, it's very, sometimes it's very indiscriminate. You could, you, you just don't know. What is though an, sort of an equalizer is that in general, you find an incredible amount of teachers in all of these schools that actually care. So the average school teacher here in the US spends upwards of $1,000 out of her own pocket on school supplies for her classroom. You know, you've got literally teachers earning a teacher's salary, spending $500, $1,000. You know, we've heard cases of teachers spending three, $4,000 out of their own pocket on supplies for their classroom. So for us, it was a very um, simple solution. You know, we're, we're, we've been able to partner with incredible organizations here who help us find these schools. Here in the U.S., there's something called the Free and Reduced Lunch Program. And for us, we go to schools where 90% of the kids or more qualify for this Free and Reduced Lunch Program, which generally means these are kids that need some level of help or families that are in some level of financial burden. And um, we work with the Kids in Needs Foundation to find that, those, those schools and distribute it as much as we can. We then also partnered with an organization that's actually very big in Australia as well, which is um, the Starlight Foundation, um, which is run by an incredible group of people here um, in the US. And through actually a mutual friend of ours, Brian Gott, um, got introduced to um, the Starlight Foundation. And now we're providing free school supplies to all of their um, schools that are in hospitals for chronically ill kids. Another group of just kids that just need, if any group needs just things to make them happy and excited is and with fun supplies for these kids. Um, and that's been an incredible journey to see that come to fruition. So early on in my life, I knew quite early that I wanted to be on stage. I knew quite early that this was something that people responded to. I got a reaction from other people that I enjoyed and I was somewhat good at doing this how early in your life did you know that i guess doing good was or building goodness into the business you built how early did you know that was part of your path i I always saw my i think you're defined significantly by the experiences that you have i grew up in a family that was always very um entrepreneurial um not from the start but we moved to australia when i was four years old and, and my family very quickly got into the entrepreneurial side of Australia and really took advantage of the incredible opportunities that were in Australia and did it the hard way. Um, you know, my dad at one point had a truck and, and a bobcat and was digging trenches. And that was how, we, and he was a, an, a, an engineer in robotics and artificial in, in intelligence. Where did you come from? From Israel. From Israel. Right. And um, so when So we, this engineer, this robotics so, engineer has got a bobcat. Literally, a bobcat <laughs> and a tipper. Parked outside of our house in St. Ives. You can have imagined the, uh, the faces and the stairs. And, but he figured that he could make more money on a bobcat and a tipper than he could working as an engineer. And so, you know, as, as we grew up, my family was always very much a part of the community, always, you know, donated where possible. And, um, but we also had a very big, significant financial setback when I was um, 
in my preteens, in my, you know, when I was 11, 12 years old. And we lost all of the money that we had in, in, a, in a real estate um, deal that, that my dad was in. And unfortunately, um, while that was terrible for our family, it, sh- it kind of provided me with a very clear understanding of how I wanted to develop my life and, and be my own boss and drive my own destiny. And what was interesting is while all of this was going on, my parents were still part of the community. They didn't, even though they didn't have money to necessarily give, they were still very active and, and participating in, in what was going on around them. And so for me, that was something that was from day one in every business that we've done. Giving back, it's not a part of the business. It is core to the business. And that's what's very different from a lot of companies, I think, um, that start that, you, you know, it's not like a plug-in or an add-on. For us, it's when we sit down for our meeting, the first thing we talk about before we talk about business is the give. It's number one. Because if we can achieve that give, then the business fundamentals generally do well. If we leave the give to the end, it doesn't work out just as well. How important do you think is it for modern business to include a a social mission in their workflow? I think... The thing that's fascinating to me, and I've done a lot of research on this, is that so many, if you look at the Fortune 500 companies out there here in the US or, or the top few hundred companies in any country in the world, you'll generally discover that all of them do good. Being, you know, giving back to the community is a fundamental part of their corporate social responsibility activities. What's interesting, though, is that they don't necessarily talk about it. What I think has changed over the past few years with great companies that have sort of come to the forefront, whether it be Warby Parker, Tom's, Yes2, great companies that, that you know, I've been very fortunate enough to be either a part of or be close to the founders of. These are people that, and, through, and thankfully through social media and the tools that we've got, we can tell the story a lot better and be unapologetic about telling the story about the give back. And so I think today the opportunity to make that a core part of your business is fundamental to bringing the millennial consumer that only or primarily looks to shop for those types of products. 80% of millennials look at companies not just for the products that they create, but for the holistic view of how they create that product or how they treat their workers or how their, their, their give back is, is manifested into the community. So for me, that um, to do that, um, it, to not do that is almost foolish. It's like giving away um, market share as much as it is not giving back. Can I just rewind for a minute? You mentioned a, a time when you were a kid, when you were what ten or eleven, when your family went through yeah something. Not only did you emigrate which is very scary in itself. Suddenly you're in a new country and language is weird, food is weird, weather's weird, birds are weird, trees are weird. Things um, bite you. Things bite you, can kill you. Um, then only a few years later, you're set with this other enormous uncertainty and uncertainty at that time in a, in a kid's life can be devastating. How did your parents get you through that? I think like all issues, they faced them head on and they were very very, very pro-communication 
with us. I had a younger brother and, and, you know, my parents literally talked us through the problem. It wasn't like it was a hidden thing. Um, It did layer on a certain amount of responsibility. You know, we, I grew up, I had at the time, I had a house with a swimming pool. I had, you know, my parents drove nice cars. You know, we were, you know, as living the Australian financial dream in the leafy suburbs of Sydney. Um, so for me, the realization, okay, certain triggers. I, I got a, I remember going out and getting a job. You were allowed to get a job in Australia at 14 and nine months was the, was the, the only job you could do before that as a younger kid was a, was a paper out. So I delivered the North Shore Times as, as a paper out as a kid. Terribly, I must say, but I, I, I did do it. Um, I, I, I worked, the, the first job I had was pulling trolleys at the local um, supermarket um, in, in my suburb. I then went on and, and, and became a checkout clerk and packed the dairy fridge and worked at, you know, to this day, my favorite job I think of all time was working in this small little place um, in, in St. Ives called Psycho Chicken, which was a charcoal chicken shop that I just loved working there. It was like uh, the, the people that owned it had this amazing, you know, approach to how they treated this little shop and people would line up for our psycho burgers. And, and so, yeah, so for me, I, it, it, it made me, you know, I said that, you know, as a family, we were going to, my parents always said that as a family, we were going to do this together. And thankfully my parents fast forward to today have, done significantly better a hundred times over than they were when they lost all their money. But the beauty of that was, is that we did it together and we did it. Um, it was very humbling as a kid to sort of figure that out. It was very upsetting sometimes to see my fa- friends being able to go on vacations and, and do things that we couldn't do, but it made me work harder for what I wanted. And looking back now at, and my wife and her and and my kids and my wife, funnily enough, had had a similar experience growing up at one point as well. We see how we treat the things that we've been fortunate enough to being able to achieve, and we don't take it for granted. And it's I I've got to say that that fear of losing or that fear of loss is with me every single day, in every single meeting, in every single part of my working life. That, that 11-year-old, 12-year-old fear still drives a lot of my decision-making or thoughts as, as I go through it. Even though we take significant risks at times, it's still core to my everyday being. It's interesting that those kind of things stay with you, isn't it? Those decisions you make at that level that operating system that you install that early still runs. Mm. It, it's uh, it, it's amazing how you quickly, you know, no matter, you know, you can, the courses you can do, the books you can read, the people you can meet, the mentors you can have, there are certain triggers that just snap you back to it. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, it, and again, I, I'll be clear. I, I, I'm a, my general sense of, of my, my daily work life is split across, call it 20 different organizations today. Um, and every single one of those, there's not a day that something does not trigger one of those reactions. Um, 
Oh, there's food. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Welcome to UB. We feed everybody. <laughs> food. Oh, look at And not just food. This is... Crazy chicken. Great. It's, it's Psycho chicken. This, Thank I, you so it's much. very much. I wish it was psycho chicken. Oh, wow. See? Vegan <laughs> delight. <laughs> You're feeding me. So grateful. Thank you so much. There's some pita bread and some hummus. Some pita bread and hummus. You had me. That um, um, I'm <laughs> all yours. Help yourself. Let me know if there's anything else. Okay. You're a gem. You're Thank a you. Thank you, darling. Okay, thanks. Um, so you mentioned seeing your friends going through that kind of stuff and, uh, you know, your friends having opportunities and things like that. That's, that's hard. You're the, you know, the immigrant kid. I'm sure you talked funny. Uh, but by then I probably caught some of the accent. Yeah, right. I was all right. But, you know, so that, that would have sucked. How was, how was high school by the time you got there? You know, I think high school was, so high school was a big transition for me um, as part of this story because when losing, um, part of the, when we lost our financial um, sort of backbone as a family, I actually went to my parents and, and said, you can't afford to send me to the school that I go to anymore. And I went from a, a, a private Jewish school in, in Sydney to um, the local state school, um, which was a great state school. But for the first time, I, was, I went from this small little school that I went to since I was five years old with, call it, a couple of hundred kids total, all the way through to this big school with now a thousand plus kids, but of all different ethnicities, backgrounds, social behavior um, that I hadn't had, you know, hadn't had connection to. And that was very hard because, uh, you know, I had come with a very different mindset to a lot of people. And, and I just, I witnessed and, and actually was involved in a couple of scuffles um, through school that you know, we're related to anti-Semitism, things that I'd never experienced in my little bubble. Um, you know, both to myself and my some of my closest friends today, we we literally had fistfights um, with, you know, due to behavior that wasn't necessarily conducive to what we believed and what the world believes is, is socially acceptable. And it was very much about, it was a very small segment tiny, insignificant segment, today even more insignificant, um, that, that, that led to these behaviors. But it was something that I'd never experienced before. And um, looking back at it now, though, while I, I very much disliked a lot of my, my high school years as a result of that, um, my closest friends have come from that. Um, and, the, and the way that I approach and especially my belief and, and now as a father of three little girls you know the the belief of how important it is to embrace people of different cultures and and have them being a part of your life every day and 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 embracing people that have a different point of view to you um it is something that's so important to how we 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 behave as as adults or how we teach our kids and how we would hope and like, I would hope that they would be able to, should they ever, God forbid, have to face a similar type of a situation, that they can do it in a, you know, in a more mindful way than I was able to do when, when I was that, that age. Um, 
which was not which was really not not an easy thing to do. So if high school was not open, a university must have been something altogether different. University <laughs> was amazing. University was was a liberating, you know, you know, it was. I loved university again. Did you want to do anything but business, or how early did you go? I'm going to go do a business degree. For me, it was one of two things. I, it was either going to be business law or, or one of three things: business law and diplomacy. Um, <laughs> which, looking back, I would have been a very sucky diplomat. Um, <laughs> and 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 I've thankfully been able to to fulfil part of that dream through some of the work that I've been lucky enough to do with the the UN and the UN Foundation. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> but but the 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 thing that's been um, Amazing for me was the um, was being able to make that decision. I was accepted into a diplomatic program, um, realizing very much as we got started in that program that wasn't for me, and and ended up going um, in straight into business and marketing and international business, to the point that pretty much what I do today is what um, I went to university for. Um, I played a lot of squash. Um, I, 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 I hung out very much at the, uh, the, the, the university bar, um, and had a, you know, a great university experience and met a lot of incredible people during that journey. It's not a lot of squash courts left. If you look around all that, those squash courts that were built in the sixties and seventies at prime real estate, I know. huge. And, you know, they can rent them at seven bucks now or sell the whole thing and build a hundred condos. I know. This, university of Technology, tough. Sydney, Karengai campus. Again, very much. I, I I didn't go too far from the uh, leafy suburbs in which I grew up. Um, great squash court. Yeah. So, <laughs> is there anything that you learned in at UTS that you still? Well, you mentioned like the, what you went to university for is what you're basically you're doing now. Are there any particular lessons that you learned there that you still there, use today? There are two things that I learned. Funnily enough, um, there was a, a girl I, I randomly bumped into her. Um, in San Francisco a, a couple of weeks, uh, about a month ago, um, a girl called Yvonne and, and, and a couple of other, um, a group, there was probably a group of four or five of us. And one thing that I learned in university, which was which has led me through to even to today and to a meeting that I'm going to have tonight, tomorrow, is, is the notion of working in a team. We were a, It was amazing to find um, a group of, it was myself, this girl, Yvonne, another girl, and a friend of mine called Arthur. And, and the four of us basically became this incredible team. These girls were incredible at research and putting together these incredible reports and presentations. And Arthur and I were incredible at presenting them. We were the show and dance crew with the pyrotechnics and the whole, you know, the whole dancing troupe. And these were amazing content creators. And but when you put us individually, we probably weren't a student because always 50% of your grade was presentation and 50% of your grade. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. With content. So we took, we would literally ace the presentation part primarily because these content creators were just, had created this fantastic, the, the material for us to be able to present. The same thing applies in the business world. You can have the greatest idea in the world or the greatest business concept product, but if you don't have the, um, the, the, the way to express that, to convince people that your your widget is a better widget than somebody else's widget, then you don't have a you don't have a hope in hell of getting that out to the market. In this building, in the Yes Two building, in the Cheeky building, in all of the various companies that we're in, that we you, you've got an, you need to have an incredible team of creators, content of people that can put the pieces of the puzzle together. And I still suck at most of that. But what I'm great at and what other people in my team are great at is presenting that. And when you combine these incredible people and their different talents together, that's what makes a successful anything. And that's what, that's what I got out of university day one. The other thing, and it was the first thing that was told to us in Marketing 101 that sort of goes across all of my businesses today and remains to me more than any other lecture that I went to. The first lecture, the first minute that this lecturer spoke, and it was as follows. The most valuable marketing in the world for anything is word of mouth. That's it. If you can get other people to talk about, and this was before social media, if you can get other people to talk about your product in a positive light and tell their friends and then they can tell their friends and you can have like a, a, a lily pad um, you know, literally duplicate multiplier effect. Within a very short space of time, you can have something that is remarkably well-known and loved. Yes to our skincare brand, so yes to carrots and yes to cucumbers. I remember getting on the plane, flying from state to state here, meeting with different retailers. And in the first year, people would ask me what I did. I'd say yes to carrots and they'd go, what? Is that a juice company? What is that? You a farmer? Two years later, I'd sit on the plane and I'd say yes to carrots and they'd go, oh my God, I love that stuff and pull it out of their back. And we never did a single massive national media campaign around it. Word of mouth is, is what drives success. When did you first learn how powerful it was to say yes? Um, yeah, yes to me is something, I, I grew up in a yes household. So for me, yes is very, my parents, you know, were never, they would never hide the chocolate. They would never, you know, which is why I still have a Cadbury dairy milk addiction. <laughs> but the, 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 um, the, the idea of being in a household where my parents never sort of, we were never the curfew kids. We were never told not to do something. And that gave us a, little, a certain respect of that word. We didn't always take full advantage or we didn't always respect it to the, to the full extent of uh, that, 
the parental law, but we, we in general, we were very good at, at, at accepting that we had the freedom to be able to do certain things. And I think what's been interesting, though, is starting a company called Yes2 and being known as the Yes2 guy creates a certain approach to life. So I can honestly say that Yes2, by virtue of the name we gave it and by the virtue of the culture of the company that we, we, we created, made me a better, more positive person. It wasn't that, and over time, more so. And in all of the companies that we now are a part of, that little word, that three-letter word, that yes word, has been able to, to allow us to have a significantly um, more positive approach to life. And, you know, there, there's certain lessons in life that you learn. And, and, you know, for me, that word yes or that the, the success that you want to achieve. So if, you know, I was an incredible artist, which I am not, but if I was an incredible artist and I wanted to, you know, get my art hung in a certain gallery or, or be in a certain place, there's probably two or three people in the world that can make that happen for me. So my job is find who are the two or three people in the world that can say yes to that. It might take me 10 years to get to two, those two or three people. It might take me a certain level of experience to get to those two or three people. But those two or three people generally remain constant or, uh, you know, in the same sphere. So I always made it a point to find who those people were. And I wouldn't stop at anything until I got to them until they said yes. And that's how we, that does, that stays true today. You've said uh, saying yes to uh, success, but what about saying yes to failure? Do you also say yes to failure? Um, we, I remember when we launched um, Yes To, we nearly failed numerous times. We nearly closed the door of the company a couple of times in the early days. Um, and for me, failure was not an option. Uh, again, I refused, you know, I refused to be in that position that my parents were in, albeit at the time I didn't have kids, but I was just getting married and it was a very, um, you know, that notion of potentially failing was a very scary notion for me. So I think I, but what ended up happening was we didn't fail, but certain of our products failed, certain of our products. And, and it was very hard for me to let those go. Over the years now with the, the notion of, of now seeing failure and seeing what failure can lead to, which can sometimes be exceptionally positive, I've come to embrace the notion of failure. And, but what I refuse to, I, 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 I'm a scenario builder in my head. I, I, like, I, I play like a little, like I said, a Tetris game in my head. So for me, failure needs to have a direct connection to something else, to the next path. I don't, like to see failure as a dead end to something. Failure needs to have a choose your own adventure left or right that you can make that decision. Because if you, um, if you accept the failure as just being what it is, you haven't achieved anything from it. You haven't learned anything from it. And so now it's about, and, and then, and also having little failures is also okay. My dad always taught me growing up 
the notion of catching a wave and and you know if if you're a surfer and you're on a board it's very the intuition of knowing when to paddle is very much in you you can almost feel it like your heartbeat you know okay boom and it's usually counterintuitive because it's usually as the wave's starting to pull you back is when you need to start propelling yourself forward now how many times do you do that and not catch the wave four out of five nine out of ten depending on the surfer in this case in business it's the same thing but you've just got to make sure that you're still on your board and that you can pedal for the next one and sometimes you're going to get smacked and hopefully not on a reef but generally you're going to get smacked and more you know 999 times out of a thousand you're going to get back up and you're going to be just fine and but sometimes you feel like your wind's been taken out of you and you don't want it and you just want to go back to the sand and it's the the best surfers are the ones that just turn around and go back for the next one what about uh, you know because i think about a lot about this when i was getting ready for this chat uh the idea of saying yes to success saying yes to failure not everyone listening to this is involved with 20 companies 20 organizations um what about saying yes to things that otherwise frighten you? And I'm talking about things like immigrants moving in next door, my daughter dating another woman. Uh, you know, what about saying yes to things that challenge you like that? Um, for me, I think the uh, there's always things that scare anyone, and and the things that scare me. Uh, thankfully, my daughters are, are still very young and doting and. Um, and hopefully they'll over remain this small and this cute. Um, but at the same time, I think the things that scare me today are, are not necessarily the physical things, uh, you know, uh, uh, the idea of, it, it's funny. We, we just came back from the snow last week and I, I always laugh that, you know, when my three-year-old, they'd say, Emmy, be careful you know, as you're walking down the stairs. Be careful, be careful, be careful. Yet I'm seeing her propelling down a mountain <laughs> on two skis with a helmet on. And like, I'm okay with it. So my, my primary fear in life is making sure that my family is happy and healthy and nothing else matters. Really, everything else can be recreated, can be rebuilt. The, the the health and well-being of your family is something that is 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 super important and and I include my closest friends in that realm. I then always think about then what scares me is not be, is making some fundamental error that's not going to let me continue to live this life that we've built for ourselves. That's the fear. That's what keeps me up at night. Not everything else can be figured out, but I love the life that we've created. My wife and I have created for our family. That is, that's special. That's you. That that's ours. That we that we've collectively built. The widgets can be made again. The the and, and the other thing that I, I I'm fearful of is letting people down that I've made a commitment to. That's something that I'm very um, old school about. If I've committed to something, I stand behind it. And if I've made the mistake, I stand behind that too. And that's, um, 
something that I, I've sort of learned. And I'm, I used to be scared of calling people up and saying, I've effed up. Now I'm, I'm, I, I go head on. Lance calls me Mr. Now. I, I don't like to wait for things. I, I'm, I've, patience is something that I'm working on and, and I've learned to be more patient on certain things over time. But if, if I'm excited about something or if I've screwed something up, I want to make sure that I take ownership and we fix it. So it, it's, a, it's a unique way of looking at it. Anyone that's ever met you, would I'm going to assume, even when you're calling up to say I've screwed up, which I'm sure is rare, anyone that's ever met you leaves with a feeling that that guy could be my friend. Is that something that which I certainly feel and everyone that I know that knows you feels this way, I'm sure. Is that something that you actively do or is it just did you go out of your way to leave people with that feeling? No, I, I think I, I go out of my way when I'm with someone to let them know that I'm with them. That that's something I I, I don't you, you we don't have a great deal of time in life. Is you know you're a good mate, and how often do we get to see each other? And and you know that that idea. So when you're with someone, I want distractions to be away, and and I want the idea of I want somebody to know that if they're in my life or or they've allowed me to be in their life, that we're you know whatever we're doing is is going to be meaningful in the most stupid fun way or whatever it can be as long as it's something and you know we had a you know one of, one of my mentors and someone who I, I I really cared for dearly and I cared for him a lot more than I even knew up until the day that he passed um, was the late Jacques Levy so Jacques Levy was the the CEO of of, 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 and, of Sephora and one of the large um, beauty chains and we had a wonderful business with them in Europe and um, we had a major screw-up with, with some of our products that we had de- developed for them. And um, I remember going to Jacques, and I flew to Paris in the middle of a vacation of mine, and I basically camped out for two weeks in Paris. And, but the first meeting I went there, I went to Jacques, and I said, listen, I've screwed up. We'll make it better. And this is someone who could have done anything. He could have destroyed me and my company with one signature on a piece of paper. Powerful man. Yet, because we walked in there and we walked in with our, you know, head, you know, head down and but with a smile and, and said, listen, this is, but we're going to make it better. He turned around to us and said, we're your partner to make it better. And he, and while it took, you know, a good year to fix the problem and, and, and sort it out, and it was very much in the early days of the company where we really didn't have the resources to even think about doing things like that. It came down to a point where it was just an amazing, it taught me a lot. This guy with incredible power looked at this, the, the, these young guys and said, you know what, they're honest with me. Because we could have not told anybody about this problem. And trust me, nobody up until this day would have known. We knew, which was enough for us to, to, to make it a, a big deal. And because we told him, and he became a friend for life, and unfortunately uh, passed away a couple of years ago, 
Um, but this was someone who for the rest of my life is going to be this, you know, the truth is, is, is if you're truthful with someone, it's very, very, very powerful. And you can build, you can take a horrible situation, which this was, and I end up staying in Paris for two weeks, of which some people in that organization would bring me in, scream at me for an hour, and then I'd come back. And I lost um, about 12 kilos in two weeks. From and the I stress. And I didn't have a great deal to lose. Oh, man. I, I came back a skeleton of a person. Yet uh, it was, I was not going to let it, fa- I was not going to let our company fail because of a silly mistake. And, um, but that truth and that, that relationship that I was able to build with Jacques as a result of that was just a, a, a phenomenal part of my journey. I've, I've read some of your uh, articles. One of them, you, you quite vehemently state business is done face-to-face, emails yeah. to follow up. That's a perfect example of that. I, I don't. Email, I, I, I really dislike email. I, I, I joke occasionally that I don't know where the radio button is on my, in my car because my car time is talk time. Um, I, I don't waste a, like I go through like one of these Plantronic headphone things. I go, it's got seven hours of talk time, which I think in real life means it's about an hour. But I go through like three of those in a day. And I go through because, and, and I fly down to my businesses that are in LA every week so I can look people in the eye and I'm, you know, go meet with our, our partners around the world and break bread. And in, because what you can accomplish in a five minute conversation with somebody face to face can take 20 emails. And the tone of that email you can't get across. And there's miscommunication in that email. And, and if you think I hate email, you should see how much I hate text. So, so the, the, the idea of, um, and, and the same thing with friendships. You know, business is one thing, but your closest friendships. My best friend in the world, every Saturday morning, we get on Skype. He lives in Tel Aviv, an Australian. I live here in, I live in San Francisco. And our kids and us, we have fun. I make French toast every Saturday morning while I chat with him while he's preparing dinner for his kids every Saturday. And that, you know, that's the wonderful thing about, you know, the, the technology that we've got that we can see each other and talk to each other. And, and it's what builds relationships. And, you know, and I accrue a lot of frequent flyer miles as a result of it too. <laughs> Speaking of relationships, we should talk about your your platonic life partner, mm. <laughs> your business partner, Lance. Yeah, Lance Kalish. Where did you, uh, how did you first meet him? I met Lance, um, the first time we met Lance, we actually went to the same university together. And uh, I went off um, towards the end of university, I went off to Indonesia um, for, for a few months. I was actually going to be, I mo- ended up moving there for a few years. And while I went away, Lance had, had recently immigrated to Australia from South Africa. And uh, Lance went um, to the local football team and said, I really want to play. And they said to him, look, unfortunately, you can't play. It's mid-season. Um, you know, there's no, you know, you can't join mid-season. And they said, wait a minute. Actually, one of our players ha- has gone to Indonesia. And this is a team that I'd been playing in since I was a little kid. 
And they said, well, why don't you play under his name for the remainder of the season? It wasn't like it was Division One; it was like Division whatever, 12. Um, play under his name and, you know, when at the end of the season, we'll just re-put you under your name. So off I go to Indonesia, Lance starts playing, without me knowing, Lance starts playing soccer under my name. And I play defender. Um, and Lance is, you know, I won't, I, I'll dispute this if you tell anybody else, but Lance is a pretty good footballer. Um, and, and he ended up scoring some pretty great goals for, for the team. And all of a sudden in the local paper, on the sports page, <laughs> it would say, Ido Lefla scores winning goal for Monash. And here I am living in Indonesia, nowhere near this. And uh, I came back for a, uh, a visit to Sydney in between. And I was standing in the sheaf in Double Bay. And I get a tap on my shoulder. And Lance is, is a good head, at least taller than me. Uh, and I look around this tall guy and he's looking at me and he, and he says, so you're the bastard that's been taking all my glory. <laughs> and and from there we became really we, we started chatting and becoming mates and and then subsequently we bumped into each other um in literally in Martin Place or Pitt Street Mall in that area um one day over lunch in the city and started chatting and Lance asked me what I was doing and I just started this uh, a particular company and he was at PwC in the city and we started chatting and a couple of weeks later he quit P- PwC and we started when we co-founded a company together. So uh, the rest is history. That was over 10 years ago. And in 10 years, we've had one fight. I, I won that fight. I-, I-, I don't remember why, but I hung up the phone. It was about nine years ago. Um, and since then, you know, really, it- it's-, it's-, it- it's like a marriage. I probably speak to Lance as much, if not more, than I speak to my wife. <laughs> your work has taken you to some amazing parts of the world, as you've said, and your diplomacy degree, while it didn't happen, uh, you are now doing work with the United Nations Foundation. What are you doing there? So uh, the UNF um, or the United Nations Foundation set up um, something called the Global Entrepreneur Council of the UN, um, and you know, with the which has been an amazing experience. It's basically collecting a group of um, leading young um, entrepreneurs who come from a diverse range of backgrounds to help bring entrepreneurship innovation to the United Nations and to help tackle some of the world's most pressing problems um, through our experiences as entrepreneurs, which is very different yet complementary with the, the world of diplomacy. And, you know, working with that, with, firstly, the, the, the class of people that I'm with, it's just an honor to be with them. But then to take that and to be able to work with people in the UN who care and, and the UNF who do such an incredible amount of work through their programs um, has been really eye-opening. And we've been able to do some incredible projects, you know. And again, it comes down to relationships and these face-to-face and and through a, a relationship that I had um, with the CEO of Walgreens and this amazing program that we, we have at the UNF called Shot at Life, um, we were able to create a program that during a certain time of the year that every time you went to get a vaccination at Walgreens, Walgreens would donate a vaccination to a child in the developing world. That face-to-face meeting that I had with the CEO, walking through a lobby of a hotel in, in, in Florida, has led to a program that has now provided free vaccinations and much-needed life-saving vaccinations 
to now over eight, nine million kids. It's amazing. In two years. That's amazing. So when you think about, so again, and, and that ability to work with such a massive group, the United Nations, the United Nations Foundation, an organization such as Walgreens, and put that together. We were able to convene a meeting at the United Nations with over 100 leading entrepreneurs from around the world for what was called the Global Accelerator, where these incredible humans came into the United Nations, which is quite an awe-inspiring um, experience if you've never done it. You can always go on a tour. I highly recommend it. It's great. They've got a Foucault pendulum there. It's brilliant. Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> Uh, and you go in there and, and you, to be sitting in one of those, um, literally one of the United Nations um, halls with your name on those placards and those electronic placards and for you to then be able to participate in helping to solve some of the world's biggest problems as an entrepreneur, all of those people end up leaving as a global accelerator. We were able to, as part of our program, to, to, there's a program, an amazing initiative called My World, which is giving the youth of the world a voice in helping shape the next um, development goals that the UN is now setting. And to be able to get millions of young people from around the world to, to give their voice as it was a program that we were able to, to do together with the United Nations. Those types of experiences, uh, you know, I... I can't to this day believe that we were able to be a part of, let alone lead. And um, which, so, so I'm, I, you know, I've still got another, you know, I think year left. We, we did, they've actually just added another year for our, our group. Um, so another year left in this, this program and I'm coveting every day. <laughs> Do you think uh, the model that you've set up the, with the giving model put inside the business plan of the company, uh, putting the economic incentive with buy this product rather than that product because when you buy this product, there is help involved. Do you think that is the way forward to dealing with some of these biggest solutions rather than a political policy? 100%. I think, you, I think political policy is very important, I think, in driving an agenda and driving getting a certain level of, of commitment funding infrastructure in place to be able to then go and do it. But I do think that as, you know, as public, as private citizens, um, the opportunities we have to be able to do things at scale at speed is significantly greater than that of a large governmental body. So while there's room for every both to exist and coexist, I think what's different today more than any other time in history is the um, is the willingness of the large organizations to participate and to admit that they would like some help. I think at times that's been quite a tenuous um, relationship. And to be able to now work together with these large groups definitely makes it easier, whether it's the Department of Education all the way through to, you know, the, the UNESCO and, and UNICEF and, and these incredible organizations around the world to be able to then give as part of our, um, you know, capitalist dream, 
um, to to those that that need it most. We are uh, sitting before two enormous plates of food, which I can't wait to eat. So let me ask you. Uh, let me let me ask you one last question. What would you say to someone who's listening to this? And you know, the idea of saying yes. You know, I think about saying yes to leaving a relationship that you're not satisfied in or saying yes to leaving a job that makes you feel like shit um, and yes to uncertainty knowing that that's there. What would you say to someone? What advice would you have for someone who's who's kind of considering starting their own thing? My biggest fear, going back to fears, is looking back not in a 30 years' time or 40 years' time but in 10 years' time in five years' time and going, shit, what, what a waste of time. You know, I actually had this chat literally yesterday at dinner with, with a, a good friend, Nolan, a, a really amazing Aussie guy actually living in, in Mill Valley. And, and Nolan and I were talking about the, the fact of, of that we're all living on borrowed time. Life's too short to have a sucky day and to have multiple sucky days. Why, why, you know, you, you know, if you're sick, you do something about it. Whether you take a herbal remedy or if I've got the flu, I'll take every herbal remedy, every homeopathic remedy and every prescription drug known to man all at the same time to make me feel better. So if you've got something whether it's a relationship that you've tried to fix and it can't be fixed or a job that you hate going to every day. Everybody has an alternative. There's, there's a famous, also late business philosopher by the name of Jim Rohn. And Jim had a very, very, and, and Jim, who I, I had the pleasure of meeting a couple of times through my family, had he's probably one of his most famous quotes of all time was for things to change, you have to change. For things to get better, you have to get better. You have that power to make that you, that notion of you have the power to make your no life become a yes life. And that's, that can be, that is a matter of flicking a switch. Sure, there might be collateral damage along the way. Sure, there might be some hardship times. But if you know that you have a path, to lead you to something that makes you happy. And happy is not about financial reward or happy is not about, you know, being able to drive a nicer car or live in a better house. Happy is how you define happy to be. Why would you live another day or another week or another month having a sucky day? It's just not worth it. Ido, I can't thank you enough for this, man. My pleasure. We've got a big lunch ahead. We do. You're a king of men. Thanks oh, for your time. My pleasure. Right, Anytime. Man. I'm going to shoot your photo with that camera. Yay. We might do that after we eat. By the way, to this day, and I saw this photo yesterday randomly, it was to this day you've taken the, the absolute best photo ever of my daughter. And, and, and my, my eldest daughter, when we were hanging out here once in Manhattan Beach, and, and Osher took the absolute greatest photo known to man of my daughter, which is still on a screensaver of one of, of one of our phones randomly. And, and I looked at it and went, oh, my God, there's that photo. I was seeing you today. So it worked out. Really well. I was, look, mate, I was just the right place at the right time with the right light. Oh. With the right 
knowledge. That was it. That's she, it. That's, isn't that everything, isn't it? That is everything. The right light. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. Thanks. And that was Ido Leffler. That's the show. You can find Ido online. If you heard something in there that you liked, do let him know. He's at I-D-O-L-E-F-F-L-E-R. If you find something that you heard in there that resonates with you, just say hi to him on Twitter. He's quite active on social media. He's a remarkable guy and you can support him by supporting any of the businesses he's involved with or go read his book, Get Big Fast, Do More Good, but mostly support him by carrying his message. Say yes. Just say yes. I mean, that can even say yes to the uncertainty of quitting, as he and I discussed. Because in his words, and I love this, life is too short to have a sucky day. Awesome. All right. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for making this show what it is. I couldn't do it without you. Sleep well and dream beautiful things. flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.